Hi, this is a podcast Simple Questions. Here I ask simple questions about complicated things. The idea of this podcast inspired by reading books with my five-year-old son and one of the most exciting books we've read so far was a book about microbiology. This is a whole world over there, bacteria inhabiting our bodies, viruses trying to invade cells and guards of the immune system. I believe a good non-fiction book should answer your questions regarding the food, but it must raise even more questions and it should prompt you to search for answers. I address my questions to a microbiologist joining us today, Laura Armbruster. Hi Laura, I'm glad to see you. Thank you for coming. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Could you please shortly introduce yourself? So I'm Laura, I'm a molecular biologist as you just said, and I'm working at the University of Heidelberg where I'm currently writing up my PhD thesis. So great, let's start then. So on the first question, what does a typical virus look like? That's a good question because viruses are, they come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. So it's hard to say what a typical virus looked like, but we can say that viruses usually have some kind of genetic information, which is DNA or RNA, and that genetic information needs to be protected. So viruses usually have some kind of protective coat, which we call a capsid, and um, this capsid is fascinating because it consists of, of subunits. Let's say it's like a lot of Lego pieces, but unlike Lego pieces, which need you to assemble them, the capsid can self-assemble and form a hull that is then protecting the virus's genetic information. So that's pretty cool. And I'm sure you've already seen drawings of viruses. And in those drawings, viruses usually have, um, have some kind of knobs on their outer hulls. And these knobs, they are... Um, they are usually proteins which the virus can use to attack your cells, to attach itself to your cells and then to finally enter and infect you. So that's what a virus usually looks like. Okay, and what about the size? How big is they? Since virology is a subfield of microbiology, I would suggest that they are micrometers in size. Is it true? They're actually even a bit smaller. So our cells are in the size of several um, micrometers. And bacteria are also in that size range, but viruses can attack our cells and bacteria, so they need to fit in one of our cells, so they're much smaller, actually. They're so small that we cannot even see them under a standard optical microscope. And if you want an exact number, we can say that the biggest viruses are about 400 nanometers in size, but there's, there's lots smaller ones, so um, the smaller ones could be as small as 18 nanometers. So that's another, another scale less than what you were proposing here. So nanometers, not micrometers. Okay. Um, viruses are not considered to be living. How is that possible? And what does it really mean? That's also a good question because viruses are right at the edge between living and non-living things. It's an ongoing discussion between scientists where life actually starts. Most people would say life starts when you have an organism that can replicate itself and that has its own metabolism. And that's something that viruses definitely don't have. So um, bacteria, for example, they have cells that divide. So one bacteria becomes two, two become four, four become eight, and you have exponential growth. And that's not possible for viruses. So um, one virus 
on its own cannot do anything. It needs you, it needs your cells or any other animal's cells or um, bacteria cells to um, reproduce. So what viruses do is they hijack your cells, they enter your cells and they force your cells to replicate the virus genetic material to produce viral proteins and then out of those proteins and this genetic material more viruses assemble and once your cell has produced enough viruses it will rupture and then those um, viruses will spread out and infect neighboring cells. But all of this is not possible if no host cells are present, so that means that viruses on their own are no living things. But bacteria are living things and we can kill them, for example by washing our hands. Uh, but how can we kill a virus if it's even not alive? Well, technically we cannot, but what we can do is we can disassemble them so that they are not dangerous for us anymore. So I already mentioned this protective coat out of proteins that viruses have around them. And when we wash our hands with soap, what we're doing is kind of getting in between the molecules of this protective coat and disassembling the coat so that the, um, the virus is simply torn into pieces. So that's what we can do. But since it was not alive from the start, I wouldn't say we killed it, we just disassembled it. So, and we know that if we leave a, a milk carton on the table and go for vacation, in a few days there will be a huge population of bacteria. They will grow and reproduce very rapidly uh, because it's a good condition for them. But is it similar for viruses? Yes and no. So what good conditions is, is very different for viruses and bacteria. So as you said, you, you would not leave a carton of milk on your table while you go for vacation because you know it's great conditions for bacteria. Most bacteria like it when it's warm and cozy, like on your kitchen table if you leave the heater on. So they like conditions that are similar to the conditions they would find in our body. They need food and milk is great food for bacteria. So that would be a good place to start for bacterial reproduction. But for viruses, that's not such a great place to start. They need host cells. They need our cells if it's a virus that attacks humans or other kinds of cells, depending on which virus you're talking. And if other cells are not present, viruses cannot replicate. So and if viruses are so different from everything else we know, where does it come from? Well... Honestly, we don't know. So this is um, another big mystery that scientists still have to solve. There is some theories. So we know that bacteria, for example, can exchange DNA. They have these little rings of DNA that they can shuttle in between um, different bacteria. And some people think that this might have been the origin of viruses, but honestly, we don't know. Wow, that sounds very like another mystery to be solved. But let's go to um, affect viruses produced to our bodies. Some illnesses can be caused by either a virus or bacteria, and symptoms might be similar, uh, but antibiotics can be used to treat bacterial infections. Do antibiotics work against viruses? Unfortunately not, and that's because they were designed to kill bacteria, not viruses. What I mean by that is that if you think about what bacteria do, they have all the functions that we also have in our cells. So they produce proteins, they replicate their own DNA, they have machinery for that in their cells and we can attack that machinery and that's what most antibiotics do. So they attack the cell wall synthesis of bacteria, they attack their protein production machinery. The thing is, viruses do not do any of those things without the help of host cells. So when viruses produce new proteins, 
they do this by forcing our cells to do the job. So if we would try to stop this protein production, it would be hurting us more than the virus probably because we then would harm protein production within all of our organism. So that's um, very, very difficult to do. We have to know that antibiotics attack mostly the bacteria protein production system because it's different from our protein production system. But if the viruses use our own system, there's nothing we can do. So antiviral drugs usually are, um, are following a completely different strategy. So the idea is that you start by not letting the virus into the cell in the first place. So you try to block the entrance. The problem is that viruses are um, very versatile. So most viruses have their very own, very individual strategy on how they get into the cell. So we start right from the start every time we develop a new antiviral drug. Whereas with antibiotics, if we attack the protein production machinery of bacteria and strain A, usually that also works for strain B, C and D. That's why we have so-called broad-spectrum antibioticas, which help against a variety of bacteria. And there's unfortunately no such thing for viruses. So most antiviral drugs are really targeting individual viruses and that's it. Even if virus strains are pretty similar, they many times cannot be targeted with the same drug. But if you put it the way around, uh, vaccination is a primary way to prevent viral infections. Are there vaccines against bacteria? Yes, there are. Because the basic principle of vaccination is working for both bacteria and viruses. So the idea behind the vaccination is that we train your immune system. If we say your immune system are the police of your body, and then the viruses and the bacteria would be some kind of criminals, what the... Um, what the vaccination actually does is providing some kind of wanted poster. So you try to tell your immune system, look, this is what a bacteria looks like. This is what a particular virus looks like. If this comes along, attack it. So what we do when we vaccinate somebody is we bring, we bring the body into contact with either dead virus or, um, or attenuated virus, which means virus that is not dangerous anymore, that's not infecting cells anymore or um, even just parts of a virus, just individual proteins. And this is um, then alerting the immune system. The immune system is producing antibodies against this virus or against this viral protein. And then next time this virus really attacks the body, our immune system will be ready. The antibodies will already be floating around in our blood. And even if they've already gone, for example, if the infection is a long time ago, we will have so-called memory cells which remember how to produce antibodies. So in any case, our immune system is prepared and can react much more quickly. And that basic principle is working for bacteria and viruses, luckily, so we can vaccinate against both. Ah, that's great. So I think we should stop here for today and I'm going to have a very long talk to my son this evening. <laughs> and next time we could talk about mutation of viruses. Great. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Bye. See you next time.